Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Okay, so we are gradually progressing through the different types of cycle in property investment. We started at the macro level by looking at the overall property cycle and spent a couple of weeks examining this along with some very good input from people like Akil Patel and Ed Ed Atkinson, if I can say his name, Ed Atkinson. Next, we looked at the MIDI level with an insight into our personal property portfolio development cycle, which is a bit of a mouthful to say, and had some valuable insights from uh, some subject matter experts such as David Clouter and Tony Gimple along the way. Finally, we turn our attention to the micro level view of an investment uh, property life cycle, an individual investment property life cycle. In simple terms, the steps in this cycle are acquire, finance, undertake works, and exit via a sale or let. And today we're going to look into the overall picture before drilling down a little bit further over the coming episodes, if all goes to plan. And we shall have a, a few guests on the show, a few guests on the show to help uncover some of the detail in this respect. So something to look forward to there. And we shall wrap up today's show with a Your Voice and in the shout out, instead of a big up for a resource or some other useful tip for us property investors, we shall instead issue a warning against a particular turnkey property company instead. Something of a salutary experience of mine over the past year or so, which I shall share with you then. Right now, though, let's get straight on with the show with Property Chatter. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. Property cycles come in various shapes and form we are discovering. Uh, There is the overall market cycle or house prices and rent levels if you prefer, which we discussed at the start of the series. I call this the macro level cycle of property. And as we saw, we need to be mindful of where we are in the cycle and adapt to market conditions accordingly. Then there is the more personal view of our collective investment properties or our portfolio cycle. And it's an evolution, development and adaptation as we progress through another cycle, our own lives. I like to call this the MIDI level cycle of property as it looks at our overall investments over time. Once more, our approach to property investment or our portfolio can change as we do based on our preferences, skills, resources, risk profile and even stages in our life. And finally, there's another cycle which is much more specific and often more short-term in nature, or at least the first stage of the investment property project will be. This is the property investment life cycle, and in keeping with my ever-decreasing level of detail in this discussion, I'm calling it the micro-level property cycle. So what are the stages of an investment property life cycle then? Well, we might break this down into a couple of clear phases, I guess. I always like to look at the first stage as the following clo- sorry <laughs> the following four clear and distinct steps acquiring the property financing our investment understanding any necessary or improvement works and exit by way of sale or letting the property out 
So if we decide to retain the property and hold it within our, port within our portfolio, it will then form a part of our investment property portfolio overall. It will then be subject to regular monitoring and review as part of how we manage our own portfolio, as we previously discussed. However, ultimately, we may decide to do something with an individual property later on, such as further improvement or conversion works, subsequent disposal or refinancing. And this will vary depending on uh, you know, where we are in our own life cycle and uh, our, our own criteria, whether it meets our objectives and our investment goals still at that point in time. And indeed, I have an example of such a property right now, which I've held for a couple of years. However, as, a, as part of a long-term rental property strategy, it doesn't really meet my minimum investment criteria. And so I have decided to sell it on and reinvest the proceeds into another property project instead. And that will provide me with a better overall return on my investment. Returning then to our initial project phase then of an investment property will follow the four steps that I outlined earlier namely acquire, finance, works and exit. And we shall see that some of these steps may not always take place with each individual property. But let's have a quick look at each stage now by way of an introduction before further elaboration in the coming episodes over the next few weeks. So the first step was acquire. Now we can't, cannot have an investment property unless we acquire it. Note that I have deliberately used the word acquire here rather than buy. Whilst in many cases we will actually buy an investment property to form part of our investment portfolio or property business if we're selling it on, we could acquire control of a property without actually buying it as well. Here's just a, some of the ways in which we can acquire property generally speaking. We can indeed buy it. There are on-market and off-market routes to buying investment property and we can buy it directly or via an intermediary or agent of some description as well. Whichever route we take, we will end up owning the property in one way or another, and we shall explore the different types of ownership a little in the coming episodes. We could also acquire a property or land through an option agreement instead. Here we will not buy the property, not, least, not at least initially. We will, however, secure an option to purchase it at a stage in the future by paying the option fee. We may do this with a view to gaining value by the time the option date comes around, for example by getting planning permission, adding value to the property, or simply by waiting for the market cycle to lift the value over time. Another way to acquire property is via some kind of lease, management agreement or other form of subletting type of structure. Rent to rent and variations of this strategy is one such example here where we reach an agreement with a property owner to use their property for a period of time in return for paying some form of regular payment. I could elaborate, for example, an assisted sale may mean that we do not acquire a property at all using any of the above routes and instead we have an agreement to participate in the sale proceeds based on another type of agreement structure. Could be a commission or a profit share arrangement, for example. You're probably getting the picture then that there are several options available to us when looking at acquiring property. The mainstream method is purchase, however there are alternatives as, as we shall explore and there may be some merit in considering some of these under the right circumstances, but more on that later. The second phase, if you like, is financing the investment. Given that an investment property comes at a significant cost, we either need to, or at least should, give some consideration to how best to finance the acquisition. There are four main methods of oh, sorry. <laughs> there are four main methods of funding our acquisition: cash, institutional financing, 
alternative financing and creative financing. So let's start with cash. This is pretty straightforward. We acquire a property and pay for it using our personal cash resources. I don't mean a suitcase of money. <laughs> I do mean bank cash, bank, bank deposits in the form of cash. We often generate the cash to fund our acquisitions from our earnings through savings and bonuses, say, through other businesses, such as trading profits, through investment returns, such as dividends, or through capital gains from asset disposals. However, as we shall explore a little more later, paying cash has some pros and indeed some cons. Another method of acquiring investment property is by using finance provided by one of the mainstream financial providers. This could be a buy-to-let mortgage or remortgage, say. It could be commercial finance or bridging finance at the simplest level. We may look at this type of financing in stages. For example, using one form of finance initially to purchase or acquire the property, such as bridging finance, and another one later on once we've undertaken some value-adding works to the property, such as a buy-to-let mortgage or remortgage. It's important to match the correct finance product to the correct property project, as we shall explore again further later. In addition to cash and institutional financing, there is a growing supply of new, alternative or disruptive providers of finance that we can tap into to help us to acquire our property investments. This could come from sources close to us, such as friends and family. It could also come from some of the new financing providers, such as the crowdfunding and peer-to-peer -peer lenders. Finally, there are some private individuals and small boutique corporate lenders that can be used to fund our property purchases through joint venture partnerships, private loan providers, or indeed equity partners similar to business angels. This is, fairly, this is a fairly untapped source of financing, but a growing one all the same. And finally, there is creative financing. We've already started to explore this when we discussed acquiring property earlier. Rent-to-rent -rent and lease options, for example, are forms of creative financing in property. As too is assisted sale, instalment contracts, delayed completion, vendor finance, and so on. Whilst these are advanced strategies, not to be taken on without a full and complete understanding of how the structure, how, sorry, how to structure and avoid some of the risks and pitfalls that can arise, they are nonetheless another form of financing our property investments beyond the mainstream sources. Hopefully I've whetted your appetite to join me over the next few episodes to explore these different forms of financing in a little more depth then. So the third area that we should look at is, uh, is that of undertaking works to a property. Sometimes this could, there could be no work required or at least a minimum level of works. Even if we buy a property ready to rent, so to speak, such as an off-plan or a new-built property, or an indeed uh, an existing rental property, we may need to undertake some works, even at the lowest level. And this could be installing smoke detectors and, and carbon monoxide detectors at a con you know, or a cosmetic redecoration or facelift just to improve its rent ability or saleability. Alternatively, we get involved with uh, substantial programs of works and in increasing degrees of extent and complexity such as a light refurbishment, a heavy refurbishment, structural improvements, conversion works and brand new development works. The decision over whether we'll undertake any of these programs of works will depend on our investment strategy and our goals, but equally also on our capabilities and resources. How we finance any works is also something that we may wish to consider, 
And there's a clear linkage with the other components of the investment property lifecycle, as I'm sure you're noticing. Finally, engaging with builders and other trades comes into the mix, as does different types of, of contractual structure. And we'll return to this theme in a later episode then. The final stage of our investment property lifecycle is the exit phase. And even if we plan to retain the property, we are exiting the initial acquisition phase at least. It could simply be buying a new property, making sure it's suitable to rent and then letting it out and that could be our exit. However, it could also be refinancing after an initial program of works or indeed a sale to realize a profit based on our value adding activities. As I mentioned earlier, we could sell an existing investment property later based on our investment criteria as we review our portfolio. However, it could also be a planned mid-term disposal, such as if we had a joint venture partner to repay, we planned to sell after two to three years anyway, or we had a tar- you know, a targeted, a fast growth, sorry, we had targeted a fast growth area to capitalize on a rising market. The exit phase is therefore anywhere between a few months and a few years in the majority of cases at least. It could be longer, say with a long lease option period, where we'll sell or refinance a property at the time the option date arises, and that could be seven or 10 years down the line. However, I like to have a clear timeline for my initial uh, property project, and then I can measure my success over this time period. It may mean breaking down our returns into capital and income returns over this investment period, therefore. So we're not just looking at one form of return, we're looking at a collective. The specifics of our exit will once again be governed by our goals and strategy and it would be prudent to have in mind at least one alternative exit option just in case our first choice of exit gets blocked for some reason. Now I had this a while back when a planned flip exit route got less attractive to me when the next door neighbour advertised their properties for sale soon after I bought mine. Now I did have a plan B to hold the property for a couple of years and that's that's exactly what I decided to do. I held it for a few years and now I'm looking to sell it on. As we shall see, things do not always go according to plan, so it's best to have a couple of alternatives wherever possible are found. So there we have it, the investment property lifecycle, at least in outline form. And we will return to the um, individual steps over the next few weeks and episodes as we uncover more of the details behind these individual strategies of the investment property lifecycle. However, let's leave the discussion here for now in the meantime and join me next time as we take a closer look at at least at the acquire phase. Next up, it's your voice. Up next is your voice. It's all about you and your property world. Now, I may have mentioned previously that Damien Fogg and myself have collaborated on a training program for property investors. And the result is a foundational course which we call iKickstart. It consists of seven core training modules with seven hours of learning content uh, on matters such as strategy and goals, criteria and KPIs, financing, personal development and so on. And it's a holistic and very practical approach to property investing that would suit new and early stage investors or indeed those looking to have a refresher or change direction. In addition, we've also got a couple of sessions as part of the program where we critique your deals and, uh, and indeed your strategy. And finally, perhaps the surprise package comes in the form of both mentor-driven, but also peer-to-peer engagement in our property student community. And here's what one of our attendees, Jay, had to say about the course. I Kickstart with Richard and Damien was a fantastic experience. Much like their podcasts, 
Each module was considered, well-structured, and smoothly delivered in easy-to-digest chunks. The, the nice bonus I hadn't considered beforehand is the fact you get direct access to the giant property brains full of useful information, and in that respect I, fi I found them to be responsive and extremely helpful with any questions I had. That alone is worth the course fee. Jay. And we'd you know, like to say a very big thanks to Jay for sharing these very kind words with us, and, uh, and in turn you, of course. Now, we've just completed the second iKickstart. We, we only launched the first one um, fairly recently, and we'll be starting our third iKickstart course in late January. And that'll be delivered in a combination of on-demand learning and also live sessions to enable our students to work on the, at their own pace and own, their own time through the material, whilst maintaining direct access to us and, and of course, the peer-to-peer -peer learning as well. And if that sounds like something you might be interested in, then by all means drop me a line, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net, and we can see if there's any spaces available for the January course uh, that's starting in January, funnily enough. But thanks very much for Jay for sharing your views, and uh, and judging by our most recent exchange of messages, with something like four, uh, sorry, not four, three property projects, either completed or close to being completed, it certainly does look as though you've had a kickstart to your property investing journey. So uh, thanks again, Jay, for that. Appreciate it. But right now, it's the shout out. And now, where you can go for more great resources with the shout out. Now, I usually reserve the shout out to share resources, tips or other information to positively assist my fellow property investors. Today's shout out comes as a bit of a cautionary word, therefore, or a bit of a warning with regard to a specific property company that provides services to property investors. And they go by the names of Newbrick Property Consultants and Newbrick Property Management. And they have offices in St Albans and Nottinghamshire. I may provide a more detailed blog post and an explanation perhaps even on the podcast as to my full experience with this company at a later date once I finalise my contractual dispute with them. But as a snapshot, I just wanted to share with you that the post-work snagging list I had on an HMO conversion that they were responsible for had over 50 separate line items in it and the large majority of those were accepted by them and nearly all were incomplete within their stated maximum contractual remedy period of 28 days. In fact, as I record this, there are several still outstanding some nine months or more later. Agreed works and compensation amounts have yet to, sorry, have yet to be paid and they're being withheld by the company. And indeed, they're failing to respond to any of my communications or pay over the agreed compensation sums that we, uh, we, had, we discussed. Sadly, I've no option but to seek legal recourse uh, against this company, therefore. There is more I can and will eventually share with regard to these companies, but uh, that should give you enough fair warning should you be thinking of using them, I would have thought. I'd previously recommended them, actually, so you might even find that somewhere. And uh, they, I did actually have a positive experience on a transaction they managed on my behalf before, but the experience on this most recent transaction is so consistently bad over such a long period and their approach and attitude so poor that I unreservedly withdraw any support or recommendation for Newbrick consultants and Newbrick property management whatsoever. I would, I would urge extreme caution in, in dealing with this company, therefore. Now I'll keep you posted as to my progress, which sadly will be following some rather unnecessary court action to remedy, I have to say. However, it does go to show that despite our best endeavours, things can sometimes go awry in our property projects when engaging third parties. 
I did manage to mitigate the damage and risk involved in this project by enlisting the support of one of my own trusted advisors. Without having such support, things could have been pretty bad, I think. Due diligence is the watch phrase here. Make sure you do your full and thorough checks on the people that you work with, including seeking recommendation and referrals, be they good or bad. The good news here comes out, uh, the good news that comes out of it for me rather, was that it's helped me to strengthen my systems and processes even further than I had done. It's difficult to predict whether a contractor will behave poorly. However, as a minimum, having regular project inspections by your own appointed contracting agent is certainly well worth incorporating into your projects I have found. I'm also extremely confident that I'll be recompensed through enforcement of the contractual provisions and so I always try to ensure that the contract is sufficiently enforceable should it need to be relied upon in court, which seems to be the case here. Trust is great, but must be earned, and it follows confirmed adherence to at least the minimum of contractual commitments. And on that salutary note, we shall leave it for now, but I will keep you posted. But that's it. Another week from the Property Voice podcast is in the bag. Join us next time as we unravel those investment property life cycle phases in a little bit more detail. And by all means, drop me an email personally, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net, if you'd like to hear more about the iKickstart that Jay mentioned under your voice, or simply to start a conversation. Meanwhile, the show notes will be over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. But meanwhile, thank you very much for listening once again this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.